hello. Welcome to the latest edition of a Boston University News Service podcast. Uh, my name is Rachel Gottlieb, and today we're going to be talking about the latest version of Taylor Swift's Fearless album, which is Taylor's version, as she calls it, and giving some thoughts on that. So I am joined today by three other Taylor fans slash people with Taylor thoughts. Um, so could you all please introduce yourselves? I'm Sierra Sarantino. I'm Deirdre Shahar. I'm Mild Alhafunangsi. Well, thank you, Deirdre, Sierra, and Mild all for joining me this morning to talk about this. We are recording this on a Monday morning, so but you might be listening to it at night, depending on when you play this. So yeah, so Fearless Taylor's version. So uh, just to add some context for people who might not know. So Fearless was Taylor Swift's second album. It came out in at the end of 2008. And it was really, in my view, seemed like the album that was responsible for kind of like catapulting her to superstardom. She had her first album that had some hits you might remember, like Teardrops on My Guitar, Our Song, and Tim McGraw. But this album contains songs like Love Story, 15, and of course, You Belong With Me, which I remember, you know, that song came out when I was in high school and I remember just like everybody was, you know, it was the song for everybody, regardless of your social click or social standing or anything like that. Um, and so obviously Taylor Swift has had a very rich and complex career since then, and she seems to have only gotten bigger. And so there is now this thing going on in her career where she is re-recording the masters of all of her albums that she recorded under Big Machine Records. I believe she's now signed to Republic. So we're gonna talk a little bit, bit more about that. But first, we wanna talk about general thoughts on the re-recording of this album, which dropped on April 9th. So uh, Sierra, can I start with you to hear some of your thoughts on the re-recording of Fearless? Yes, of course. Okay, so I was super excited. I remember like when she released like the date, it was coded and like you had to figure it out and that just, that just took me back. So I feel like just in general, I had a huge wave of nostalgia. That was just so great for me. I, I Fearless came out when I was in middle school. And so that was just a whole other vibe. And I feel like in a roundabout cliche way, I can kind of relate to it more now just because I have more experience and like I feel like I, I'm listening as I get older, you just kind of are more aware of the lyrics and the meaning behind them and the experiences and everything like that. And I feel like it was just a great re-listen for me. It kind of took me back in like the best ways. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that listening to it with that retrospect, it has been really special for me as well and really interesting. Deirdre or Mild, what are, what are your thoughts on the album? Yeah, I, so I've been a Swifty since like as long as I can remember when Teardrops on My Guitar came out, I was already like in love. But I will say I was also expecting to feel different feelings listening to it this time because I'm so much older now. And I guess it's a good thing that I can't relate still. Like I haven't been through the heartbreak that she talks about. So like, I mean, I'm, eventually it probably will happen. But um, it's interesting to listen to it now because even though I don't like relate exactly to what she's saying, it's still like, I don't know. I feel like I could relate more. Whereas when I was like 10, 12 years old, listening to teardrops in my guitar, I was like, you know, I, I don't even think I knew what it was like to have a crush on a boy when I was 12 years old. So like, it's just a totally different 
totally different feeling. And I've gone through my ups and downs with Taylor. Like, I'm not going to pretend I've always loved every single thing she's done. But I mean, you, you said it before, Fearless totally launched her. And so seeing it come out again was, and also I actually, it was interesting because I played it for my boyfriend who wasn't a Taylor Swift fan and didn't know the album before. And I was curious to see like his reaction versus somebody who's already listened to it. And he was like, this was written when? Like it could have been written now. So like, it was also interesting to see his perspective. She's just, she's great. She's, she did a great job. <laughs> Yeah, Mild, did you want to share your impressions of the album? Yes. First, I'm not exactly a Swifty. So, like, I don't keep up with, like, every single thing Taylor-related. But I've always loved music. And it's, like, there's no denying that she's, like, one of the best lyricists out there. And I think when the original album came out, I didn't listen to it back then. I think I listened to it like later, maybe when I was in my high school. So I, I first, I just think that's interesting how like you guys listen to it like way back when, like middle school or something, right? And then I was like around, I guess, uh, 16, 17, when I was like listening to it for the first time. And back then I related to so much of her writing. Re-listening to it now with, her new vocal maturity I think it's just it it hits different it's I think it creates this sort of like nostalgia but with like a sense of like already moving on it's like someone who's grown up and then looking back at the past but it's still so relatable I I just feel like her writing is just it ages like wine I think I I would want to explain it as like a novel like Like when you read through the whole thing, it's like a complete story with like climax and all that. And then like a twisted ending or something. And I I still think that's really hard to find in anyone's writing ever. So it's been a great experience re-listening to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think what everyone is saying about, you know, her vocal maturity and the way that the lyrics still hit today and how timely it is, is something that I really felt too. Um, specifically something I've been experiencing is when I listen to 15 having that feeling because 15 came out that the album I actually looked up the album release date because I was so curious and the album came out like less than a month before I turned 15 so when 15 came out I like was 15 and was fully experiencing those emotions that she was talking about in a lot of ways And I listened to it in my car the other day in the new Taylor's Fearless version. And I got so emotional because it, the way that it hit in retrospect was so different than the way that it hit at the time. And I think that said so much about her as a lyricist, how those lyrics really carried over time. And I I felt the same way about a lot of the other songs. Did any of you have a specific experience listening to one of the songs now that maybe brought you back to when you listened to it when you were younger? When I listened to Hey Steven for the first time, and I, I mean, I'm, Mile might not feel this way, but if you're a big Taylor Swift fan, you were waiting for that laugh that she was gonna, you know, yeah, Sierra's got me. And so when I heard her laugh and I, I don't know, I was expecting this, you know, young girlish giggle, but here you had like a hearty, you know, a woman's laugh. And I was just like, she definitely did that on purpose. Um, and I feel like it, tra- it definitely translated so well because he, Hey Steven is, this, you know, a song about a girl having like a school girl crush, but 
it, you know, you can be a 30 year old woman and still have those same feelings. So it's, it's great how she did that. And even, I, I mean, I used to say when I was younger that like, I had no, I didn't have, again, the heartbreak, but I still, for some reason, there's something about how she writes. I still was like, yep, I can relate, even though I physically couldn't. Um, and it, 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 again, it just, it carries on for forever, really. Yeah, I kind of felt like that with, um, with You Belong With Me. That was like, that was my jam. You know, I watched that music video every day. I, yeah, it was just, and then hearing it again, of course, like the lyrics in a way I feel are a, a little bit dated because, you know, she's talking about high school and things like that. But I feel like it, it just kind of looks back on it in a more mature light. And you just kind of, you can pinpoint parts of that, those lyrics where you kind of can relate to it now, even, you know, say like you, you like someone and he's like with somebody else or whatever, like you were saying, Deidre, she just has like a really good way to kind of get into your brain and get into your heart in a way that like a lot of, in my opinion, a lot of musicians struggle with. And I feel like now since she's more mature and she's re-recording her albums, we're kind of looking at it in a different light. And especially with Folklore and Evermore, like she's kind of moving from an autobiographical point of view to just, I don't wanna say like fiction, but she's mixing reality and fiction really well. And I feel like since now we're looking at her as an adult, it kind of forces people to realize, yeah, she's like a force. She's a songwriting force and you can't hide behind, like the haters can't hide behind. Oh, well, she's just writing about an ex-boyfriend. Oh, she's just writing about a former bestie. Like they can't do that anymore, you know? And I feel like that's even way more apparent even in the re-recording. I agree. <laughs> Rachel, when you were uh, mentioning 15, I actually, so I don't know this detail. How old was she when she was writing like this song, if anyone knows? Because I I do feel that, that it's really hard to like understand it like 100% when you're 15. So I was wondering if she was a little older because like I listen to it now, the re-recorded version. I feel like now I understand everything. It's like all those like philosophy and like, you know, life lessons and all that. Looking back, I don't think my 15 year old <laughs> would would understand like half of this. So so do you know if um how old she was when she was writing it? Well, I know that when the album was recorded, she was probably between 17 and 18. Um, I'm not sure how old she was when she wrote it though. And yeah, it's, I think what you're saying, like the insight that she has into being 15 is so interesting. And I, I think even if she were as a 17 year or 18 year old, having that insight is like crazy mm -hmm. to me. Yeah, Cause I feel like my 18 year old self was probably not that different from my 15 year old self. If I'm being like totally honest about that. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, my favorite from back then was The Way I Loved You. And it's still my favorite. I think I first discovered it from like, I was going on YouTube and I was looking up The Notebook, you know, the movie. And then there was a video popped up with like this song as like a, you know, they put it together, like as if it was a soundtrack or something. And then I was like, wow, this just fits perfectly. But then I don't think it was written for this movie. So I was just I don't know, mind blown. Yeah, but it's still my favorite. 
Yeah, that one, that one's great. Um, and I think my favorite though, 15 is the one that's hit me emotionally. My favorite was always breathe with Colby Calais. And I love that she brought Colby Calais back for the re-recording too. It just hits me every time. And so of course, in this new iteration, this Taylor's version, we have a fearless, we also get this slew of new songs or older songs that are from the vault as Taylor is calling them. And a lot of, I've been reading a lot of reviews on these and a lot of people are noting how, what's so interesting about them is these are songs we've never heard before, but you can hear so many things in the lyrics that were so common in what her songwriting style was back then. There's a lot of stuff about rain and being on the sidewalk, which sounds really like oddly specific, but I kind of, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh yeah, there's a lot of uh, just a lot of like lyrical themes there. So um, so what did you guys think of some of these from the vault songs? Did you like that she included them? And did you think that it added something special to this new version of the album? Yeah, I feel like it kind of <clears throat> it kind of gives a, a a full picture of what she kind of wanted the album to be. Because you know, when you're a lot of albums are not nearly this long. It's it's what like 20 seven songs it's it's really long so I feel like especially when you're a young artist you just you have to axe your babies and everything that you love and as writers I'm sure we all can relate to that and so being able to see some of her like lost tunes was awesome um per personally I really liked Mr. Perfectly Fine and and Bye Bye Baby I feel like they just add more character and and more insight into what she was going through at the time of recording so I, I just was so excited to hear about this. I always get excited to see like behind the scenes things of pretty much anything that I'm like obsessed with. And I definitely was obsessed with Fearless at some point. So to see like like you, what you said, kind of like what didn't make the cut. I mean, this is like goes into the whole issue of her artistic freedom, but like there was a reason why she wanted to redo it. And so she obviously didn't get, you know, I don't, again, how old did you say she was when she recorded this? like 17 or 18. Yeah, probably. there's no way she was standing up to big machine and being like, this is what I want the album to sound like. This is what it's going to be. So it's, it's also just like empowering, you know, to see her kind of take control of her work. So I was just like, go Taylor, you know? <laughs> My favorite from, from the vault songs, I would say is you all over me. I was looking at the length of, of, of each song. And I think it's interesting how, I think she keeps the, the original idea because like you know these days songs are getting shorter and shorter back then it was like four minutes or like three minutes and a half you know and all that um and like most of these songs I think are like four minutes so it's like it's bringing back that sense of like nostalgia because like in the past I feel like songs had more solos or like longer intros outros and all that so so it's really interesting actually and I'm, I'm glad she she added this because it just adds something more to the re-release of the album. Yeah, Mild, I totally, I, I think that's such a good point about the intros and the outros and that sort of thing. Um, personally, I am, I am such a full albums person. I'm a person who I don't like using the shuffle button on albums. I think albums tell a story. You know, the artist curates them really intentionally and I'm such a proponent of that. And it's made me a little sad to see that sort of being lost in the streaming era. I did read something about how one of the reasons why 
albums are getting a little longer now though too is because of the streaming era and the fact that there doesn't have to be an account for what the capacity of like a CD can be to hold a certain amount of tracks. And so I think it's cool that she was able to put like 26 songs on an album while still very much giving it that that narrative arc of what an album's supposed to be. And and that a lot of that narrative arc did fit into still the themes that were on the previous like 2008 version of the album. So I, I think my favorite from the Vault song was Come In With The Rain, which I'd never heard before. And I remember listening to it. I was listening to the album at like two o'clock in the morning after it came out because being in school, I'm always awake at two o'clock in the morning, apparently. Um, and it just like hit me immediately. Like I heard those first chords and I was like, whoo, this is good. <laughs> this is really good. And interestingly had that had that rain theme to it too. That's kind of always seemed to be present in like her earlier versions of the songs. So we kind of started talking a little bit about, you know, her taking control over her work and Deirdre mentioned, you know, it seems hard to imagine that Taylor would have, you know, been standing up to her record label when she was 17, 18 years old. And now she's able to do that, um, or she's on a completely different record label to begin with now. And a lot of that is from this highly publicized battle that she's in for the ownership over her work with Big Machine Records and Scooter Braun, who is a really famous music manager. He manages Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, um, currently Demi Lovato as well. Uh, this started in 2019. What the public discourse says is that Taylor tried to buy the masters for her records from this man named Scott Bruschetta, who is the owner of Big Machine Records. Taylor was one of the first people he signed back that probably was 2005 or 2006, maybe even 2004. And eventually, I believe it was 2017, she transitioned to Republic Records and she tried to buy the masters for her song and um, Borchetta would not let her and instead sold them to Scooter Braun for $300 million. So what's interesting about this is that Taylor has sort of always, she made one of her public battles in 2015 during the 1989 era about streaming service rights and artists getting paid enough money on streaming service. She famously pulled her catalog from Spotify and would not let Apple put her music on its streaming service until they agreed to pay artists during free trials. So I'm curious um, if anyone has thoughts on this. Deirdre, you sort of, you know, you mentioned her standing up to her record label. Um, and I know you have some familiarity with the industry. So um, what are your thoughts on Taylor taking this move to re-record her masters in order to regain ownership over her previous work. Yeah, when I first saw that she was doing that, my immediate first thought was she's brilliant because she has gathered and harnessed such a like cult following now that like she knows whatever she does, like her fans will be there. I mean, it wasn't the, the crazy thing was that it wasn't even that they just sold the music to Scooter Braun. It was that they sold the music without telling her to Scooter Braun. And then Scooter Braun sold her music again without telling her. And he sold it to, I don't actually know the name, but it was like a smaller label that has a partnership with him. And she was looking forward to working with them. But once she found out that he was involved, she was like, I'm really sorry, but I can't work with a company that is working with Scooter Braun. So 
it's it's interesting to see that like she's just been kind of knocked down over and over again and she's like no but I'm gonna just I'm gonna do it I'm gonna re-record it re-release it better than it was before and now she's she has the fans who downloaded it and immediately knew every single word to every song like I did and now she has also the fans who are downloading it for the first time and falling in love with it for the first time so I mean she kind of got screwed over but again like she's Taylor Swift like she's so smart and I think the move that she made was a perfect move otherwise I don't know how else she would have been able it's such a it's such a heartbreaking feeling I write songs myself too and like obviously I do it just for fun nobody wants the rights to my music but when you write something and you create something of your own it's such a terrible feeling to then be told like yeah I'm gonna sell it but to anybody but you and that was just such a like slap in the face so this was her kind of way of being like you know well screw you guys, I'm going to do it anyway, um, which I thought was brilliant and amazing. Yeah, just awesome. She did a great job. Yeah. And I, I think what's, what's interesting about that too, is the fact that she signed these deals when she was a kid, right? So it's hard to blame her for walking into a contract that maybe wouldn't allow her to have more um, freedom over the ownership of her work when she was 14, 15 years old, even if her parents were, I'm sure her parents were supervising in some capacity, but maybe they didn't quite know what they were getting into either. Um, there, there are so many kinds of record deals that you can get into. And what I think happened to her was she was probably in some sort of 360 label deal, which is basically they control every aspect of your, so what you look like, what you sound like, what your songs are like, you know, just everything. And when you're younger, you're just like, hell yeah, like take, take, do it, like make me a star. But, you know, hindsight's always 2020. 20, and I don't think her at a young age, she was just so bright eyed and bushy tailed and ready to go, you know, they took advantage. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, something I've been thinking about too, is why she chose to record Fearless first, because Taylor Swift, her self-titled album came out before that. And there are rumors based on um, a Stephen Colbert interview that happened about a week ago that 1989 will be next, which we're jumping way into the future from Fearless from that one. We're jumping, we're jumping over Speak Now and Red, which are two albums we could also probably all say a lot about. <laughs> so I'm wondering if any of you have thoughts on why she chose Fearless first, if we think that symbolized anything. Uh, yeah, I think it kind of circles back to what we were saying earlier about how this was like her main album. This kind of put her out there for everybody, not just in country, because, you know, to be fair, I'm not a huge country listener, but this was like what solidified it for me. So I feel like that's part of it. And then I was <laughs> I was deep in like Twitter threads and this <laughs> and it's like she released it in 2008. Oh, my gosh, it's 13 years ago. Oh, my God, 13 is her favorite number. So it's it's something fun like that. Or But I, I feel like it's just fearless kind of gave her a lot of empowerment and it was a real like coming of age album. So I feel like recording that one first as a super uber successful, powerful woman just kind of pushes that message forward a little bit more. So yeah, I feel like maybe that could be a reason why. I just think the the name of the album itself is like a statement that she probably wants to make. Like, I'm fearless now, so like do whatever. I'm, I'm doing my thing. <laughs> That's just my thought. It's not surprising to me that she started with Fearless. Um, my thoughts are exactly the same as Sierra's. I 
personally really hope she redoes either Speak Now or Red before she does in 1989. It's just such a totally different Taylor era. Red was one of my favorite albums of all time. I think it's just from start to finish a masterpiece and as are most of her albums, but I was thrilled to see her start with this one, but I really hope she moves on to Speak Now or I, it would be nice to see her do it in order. I think that'd be cute. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I agree that I really, I really thought that she was going to do it in order, um, I guess, because again, I'm, I'm a little bit of a purist with that in terms of albums and catalogs and that sort of thing. Uh, that being said, I certainly am not disappointed she did Fearless first. And also, um, you know, Taylor and I have had a complex arc. Like I've really gone like up and down in my feelings about her throughout the years. Um, I'll come out and say I was like, so not a fan of the 1989 era, uh, partially because that I was like deep into, I, I majored in communication arts in my undergrad, which was very much about like analyzing what public figures do and how all of it's like completely inauthentic. Um, something to be said for that, of course, but, but so, um, you know, with the squad era and everything like that, I was like, so not into it. I think I have a little bit more retrospect, like respect for it now than I did when I was like a junior in college. But I, so I, I think it's, it's interesting for me. I, I think personally, it makes me happy that she came out with Fearless first though, because I was like, I was, that's again, I was in like 10th grade and I remember I was, you know, in my phase of like trying to be cool or whatever and like only like indie and alternative music. And my little sister had the Fearless CD and I would like sneak it out of her CD case and listen to it like in secret. And and I think it's, you know, I, I think it's cool that she it, she's embracing like her younger self right now too, um, that she's not ditching it or leaving it behind because in some ways that's what I think that's what 1989 felt like in some ways, her trying to leave another part of herself behind. And so I am curious if she does come out with that one next, how, I guess how that's going to affect the arc in some way. I don't think it's going to necessarily be good or bad, but I think that I would be curious to see how she's going to redo it and what that's going to, not what that's going to look like, but maybe how it'll compare to the Fearless remake. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like I'm on the same page. 1989's cool. She's a moment, you know. She's not my favorite, but I respect. I feel like, I know it was like 2015 and that was like six years ago, but it still feels really recent to me. And especially like in looking at her arc as an artist, it feels relatively recent still. Like not much change in my opinion. I'm totally purposefully skating over reputation. Um, <laughs> but um, I feel like if she records that one next, yeah, yeah, of course, I'm going to download it. I'm going to listen to it on repeat. Really intrigued to see if she'll actually change like the music or maybe the vibes of certain songs. But I feel like it won't have the same powerful punch that Fearless does because it was just so long ago. And you know, you're, you're kind of seeing her evolution as you just listen to it again. So of course I'll listen to it, but yes, Deidre, I would love Speak Now. I would love that next, just personally, like better than Revenge. Can we, yes. <laughs> I went to see Speak Now, like when it was live and when she, like, it was just like a magical, you know, it was enchanting <laughs> to yeah. put it, no pun intended. Um, so I, I would love to see you speak now less. I do next. I do have to disagree. I loved 1989. I just kind of took it for what it was though. Like I definitely had to be like, okay, this is different. This is not the same. 
And then when reputation hit, I was just like, what is going on? Like, that's when I was like, this is not the same. Something is different. <laughs> um, I actually like feel like a fake Taylor Swift fan when I, I haven't even listened to reputation uh, all the way through. I'm not even going to lie. But I, I do think that it'd be nicer to see her do speak now first, just because of the, like Sierra said, like uh, 1989, while it does seem, I mean, I was a freshman, I think in college. So it was a definitely different time period for me. I would like to see her do speak now because there's a there's a sense of like vintage like like retro because because it's old you know I mean it doesn't seem like it is but it, it is so I would like to see her go with the oldies first I feel like I don't need a remake of like some of her newer albums I mean again obviously folklore and evermore are brand new and uh she could she could continue extending those as much as she wants I think they're both amazing <laughs> um but yeah I definitely think speak now should have its time to shine it's a it's an important era in itself for sure I, I was wondering well how many physical albums do you guys like own if, if you do collect physical albums I can show you 1989 up here <laughs> But oh. I, I left all of my Taylor CDs at home because I have no place to play them now. But I think I have, I think I have all of them, but Reputation and her first one. So everything in the middle. <laughs> I don't have hard copies of any of them, I don't think. Um, I have all of them saved to my Spotify library, <laughs> except Reputation. <laughs> Sorry, Taylor. <laughs> yeah, I was a big, like, download on iTunes and like burn the CD back in the day. Um, my sister, again, my sister had the fearless physical CD, which I, you know, promptly would listen to on my boom box when I would get the chance. Um, and I had, I had the first album. I really liked that one. And I, I had speak now as well burned, like, you know, bought on iTunes burned on my CD player. And then I believe I believe my sister also had read physical copies. So I'll, I'll count because I also would listen to that. But I will say I didn't really start coming back around to Taylor again until when she, I think, you know, when she started to take more of like a political and social stance on things, I started to gain a little bit more of my respect back for her. I also was very not into reputation. And then I think when her documentary, when Lover came out, a lot of my friends were like, you've got to listen to this. They were like, I know you're off Taylor, but like, I think you'll like this. So I remember I actually went to a park and I, I had had a cold and I went to a park and I just like laid down and listened to it. And I was like, okay, I think I like this. So, but you know, by that point it, it wasn't, um, it was so buying physical copies of albums. I think at that point that was 2019 was like something that I, that I wouldn't do, but a lot of people were doing for Taylor, which I always think is really interesting that she's always had this connection with her fans to get them to buy physical copies, even as they have become somewhat obsolete. For a while, we kind of had no choice almost because like she did take herself off of Spotify. And I was like, why did she do this? I was, it hurt personally. But I mean, I, I was very, again, I'm, I, I'm very understanding of the struggles of the big shark music industry. So I totally understood why she did it. But as a fan, I was like, damn, like, I don't know how I'm going to listen to most of her songs now. I did think about, but I do have a record player and I did, I want to say I had a copy of Red 
because I totally forgot about Red for a hot sec there. I also completely forgot Lover existed. We've been talking so much. When you mentioned Lover, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah, which I think, and it's worth mentioning too, that Lover will probably not be one that she'll re-record since she's done that under her new label, not management, but her new deal with her, the label that she's currently signed to. And I guess the same would go for Folklore and Evermore too, which she kind of just... I know she released them through her label, but she recorded them like somewhat independently. Like I looked at the liner notes and it's amazing that it truly just is her, Aaron Dessner, Jack Antonoff and um, William Bowery, quote unquote, who is her partner, Joe Allen. Um, and that's really everybody. I think there might be two other sound engineers who worked on it, um, which I find really impressive. Yeah, oh my God, folklore is just my favorite thing ever, period. Like. It's, I think it's just the best work she's ever done personally. And it was just an added bonus of happiness when she just released that during quarantine. I was like, yes, new content. Cause I was already listening to Lover way too much. And I was starting to get into that stage where I'm like, oh, I can't do this to myself. I'm going to set myself up for not liking this anymore. I need to move on. So then perfect. Folklore came at a great time. <laughs> and then Evermore, she kind of just snuck in there. I mean, Personally, I actually like Evermore more than Folklore. I think they're both amazing. I think it's a very subjective thing. But like, can we just, how impressive? I mean, like the extension, like they're long albums. They're not short albums, you know? So, and the fact that they both came out within like six months of each other is just insane. And then right after that, a few months later, this now, like Taylor version of Fearless, like the drive and ambition this woman has is unreal. <laughs> unparalleled it's just content after content it's like she knows what I want and exactly. she's just connecting with my brain exactly. it's it's been a wild ride <laughs> and I really like um especially like listening to folklore and then I'll, I'll listen to like um fearless Taylor's version like back to back sometimes and it's really cool to like compare and contrast her her like way of songwriting now it's it's way more like storyteller um, fiction vibes rather than like her own POV, but she still manages to like sneak that in there. And I just feel like it's so like beautifully interwoven with like her then and her now. And it's She's just- gotten good at telling other people's stories, mm -hmm. like in folklore and evermore, like there were a few songs and I was like, wait, is this about her? And then I had to re-listen and be like, no, she's writing from like a 17 year old boy's perspective. Like how is a 30 year old woman doing that? Yeah, but she exactly. does it flawlessly. <laughs> Yeah. And I think I, I wanted to, a lot of what I've been thinking about too, is how this sort of fits into the larger like arc of her career. Cause it's been very much defined by eras, right? Like every album has come with a new style, a new tone to it. Um, you know, especially when she started getting more into pop and I think it's like so cool. I think that's one of the reasons why it's so cool to see her go back. And I think that like, you know, 2020 for Taylor Swift. I mean, talk about someone who took lemons and made it into lemonade, because I agree with what both of you are saying. Folklore and Evermore are just so good. The songwriting is so prime. The way that she, yeah, like steps into the shoes of fictional characters and writes songs about it is incredible. And I, I wonder, you know, I think, I think she made a comment too at some point, either on her Instagram or in an interview about how she's always like everything that she's ever done with her albums has always had a plan and the singles were going to get released in a certain order and all that. And 2020 just totally changed that for her. 
with releasing these surprise albums and recording them just because like she had to cancel Lover Fest and didn't have anything else going on. So I'm wondering what this is going to mean for future Taylor too. Like, are we done with, with the era of album eras? Is this kind of going to be her new thing? Like I want, I just have so many questions about like how she's going to, how she's going to move forward. And I think she's shown us this year that we know she's going to like Taylor, I don't think is going to be a has-been ever. I think she's like a classic and will be a superstar forever. She's an icon. I'm hoping that this becomes its own era, maybe. Like, maybe it's like an era of like vintage Taylor where she kind of brings back some stuff and then hopefully she'll, you know, move forward again. I, I, I always love seeing when she has something new. So I hope that this isn't the end of her. I don't think it is, but I think it'd be cool if this was like its own era in itself, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was thinking kind of the same way because I mean, Folklore and Evermore are like sisters, you know, like they're and they have very similar tones. And if you listen to one after the other, sometimes you're like, wait, I I at least got confused as to what track was on what album sometimes. And So it's like, I feel like this is kind of a a new era for her. It's not as obvious or as um, encompassing a a grand year just because everything's been so rushed. But I feel like, especially like with the element of like folk in her music. And I think that's kind of where she's going more towards, especially since Lover was so like bubblegum pop. And now we're kind of swaying into this new era. I'm, I'm excited to see what she's going to do next. More indie stuff, question mark. I don't know. <laughs> Further away in the future, I feel like if we look back, it's going to be like what Deirdre said about like all of this re-recording will probably be considered like one era because I think she's like releasing the next one pretty soon, right? Like it's not going to be like far away from each other. So like, I don't know, maybe like in a year we will have most of them or half, I don't know. But I guess when we look back like from future, it will be, it will be like a like a period of vintage Taylor and then we're going to move forward. Yeah, I'm excited. I I think that's interesting what you guys are saying about this being an era in itself. I hadn't thought of that. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I definitely agree with that. It'll be interesting to see the passage of time that goes between each re-recording of the album. Does anyone have any final thoughts they want to add about Taylor or Fearless or anything? Well, um, since I'm not exactly a Swifty, I am wondering what what's next for Taylor, like for Swifties that you guys like want to see? You guys want to see her like branch out in like which way, either music or not, whatever. Any thoughts on that? I personally would love to see her stick to this type of songwriting. Me too. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why this year of her career was so important for me is because I was sort of of this opinion for a long time where I was like, oh, like Taylor Swift is like more a businesswoman than an artist. And I was sort of just like, you know, she's she's allowed to do that. But for me, she's more a businesswoman. And then when Folklore came out, she just like, she checked me, man. Like she totally <laughs> checked me on that. I was like, never mind, <laughs> she's still an artist. And I think it also proved to me too that like, because she was recording these pieces of music without the incentive of a tour and interviews and like lots of promotional stuff. She was just like, I was sitting at home and I wanted to record music. Like, again, she just like kind of blew me out of the water with that. And the songwriting was so beautiful and so amazing that 
I so I really hope that she sticks with that. I hope that she kind of sticks with the the model of like purely being um, a songwriter. And you know, if she wants, to, I think that if she does go to other incentives again, like that's her prerogative. And so many artists do that, and that's kind of the world we live in. But I I would love this to be like the larger part of her career. I think. I think the maturity that we've seen from this, like, I mean, she went from writing songs about being in high school to like writing songs about like adultery and like, it just, the way that she's grown, I'd love to see it keep going. You know, we're, we finally are seeing like grown up Taylor Swift, you know, I mean, I think reputation was a slightly, maybe, I don't know, immature era. I don't know. Maybe I'm being like too judgy on her there, but I just think it's, it's nice to see that she's now just like a, a, fully grown woman who's ready to write about her life in a way that we haven't seen before. And I think it was Miles who said she's a lyricist. Like her lyrics are really just great. And I think now that we're starting to see the older side of her, we're going to start to see songs that are about, you know, things that we might even be able to relate to more. Um, One thing I would love to see is less of like a not like a heartbreak album, but like I would, since she's growing up and since she's becoming this like fully fledged woman, I'd love to see her write about maybe some other stuff, but all of her love songs are still so well-written. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I feel like you can just hear it in her, in her most recent albums that she's just <clears throat> so comfortable with where she's at in life. She's confident, she's happy. And you, you can just hear that because Yes, you know, I'm going to advocate for reputation just a little bit. There are some bops, but you you just you just hear the the kind of revenge and 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 like the want to fight and and defend herself. But now she's at a stage in life which I would still like to see where she's just like, you know, come at me. Like I'm cool. I'm living my best life. I, you know, this is me. This is what I have to offer and I'm thriving. And I love that for her. <laughs> I think it's been, it's, she's had, she's really has had like a very notable and like very rich career and I'm excited to see where it goes. And I think, you know, we'll be, we'll all be able to keep talking about Taylor for a long time, I think, in a lot of different ways. Thank you so much, all of you for joining me to talk about this this morning. It's been, it's been great. And we should keep talking about Taylor <laughs> off the books as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like a Taylor Swift listening party for the next one that comes up. I'm so ready. We'll start I'm a group chat. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> thank you, everybody. And thank, thank you all who listened today. Mm-hmm.